Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by Harry Kane's second penalty to his first penalty. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Oh, Justin. Bloody yeah. hell. Football, eh? Yeah. Can't, can't live with it, can't live without it. It really just sucks the life out of you, doesn't it, <laughs> when something like this happens? Well, yeah, I think the thing is, if you if you're a supporter of a club that constantly underperforms, you get it. You can move on quite quickly, and I think I fall into that camp. But it's still a kick in the balls, especially when you have been the better team. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's a sucker punch, but that's that's football, isn't it? That's football. Yeah, and the thing is, I'd have bet my life on Harry Kane scoring that penalty, and just when it flew over into Rosehead. My my heart just sank. Uh, See, I I, uh, I don't watch penalties. I've not watched a penalty since like two thousand and five. What do you mean? I I literally put my head like between my between my knees. So oh, I I, okay. I don't watch. I cover my ears even at live games. If I'm in the crowd, I will sit down and just stare at the floor and like not acknowledge anything happening. Be very confused at noises that are being made by yeah. your fellow supporters. Exactly. Yeah, well, at least the championship's back, isn't it now? Fully back, and that's nice, isn't it? It is, but I can only imagine how much of a come down it is for those players who actually went to the World Cup. Because I was just thinking today with the, um, well, over the weekend, just some of the players that have played, like Horvath, obviously coming back from the World Cup. You've got Dieng and... Um, well, there's there's Dieng and there's another player as well. Um, just came to mind and I, and it's just like, guys, is this is this really filling it for you, or is it not as good as what it was a week ago? Yeah, and for example, has gone from playing football for Senegal in these world class, state of the art stadiums to playing at Bramall Lane against Huddersfield. It's a it's a bit of a come down when you put it like that, I suppose, isn't it? But. There we are. It's the championship and we bloody love it. So welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Let's talk about all the games that have happened in the championship this past weekend. We'll do that. Talk about some of the news from the past few days as well. And then we'll finish off with a little game right at the end. So Burnley still top of the league after beating QPR 3-0. An emphatic win for Vinnie Company's boys, Justin Peach. It was emphatic, and I think it was just a performance where I don't think Burnley needed to get out of third gear just because of how poor QPR were. Um, and I think that's a, a really good place to be because I think it showcases the quality that Burnley have got. If you if you go from that first goal, okay, it was a contentious free kick, but Goodmanson's got the quality to put it in, and you've got Martin um, with the, the composure at the back post for his for his goal as well. And then obviously at that point, it's just a case of managing the game from a Burnley perspective and hitting um, hitting QPR on the counter attack and and, and you know, biding their time and, and they did that really well. It was a really professional performance from from uh, Vinnie Company's men and um, I think it showcases why they're top of the league. They don't have to win by being in full gear, which is a, a very good place to be. Well, the thing is with Burnley as well, they've dropped the most points from winning mm-hmm. positions this season, haven't they? So this could have been another case of that where they take the foot off the gas and QPR managed to find a way to get back in. But it never really looked like happening, did it? They just had no. too much quality for QPR. They were ruthless in front of goal and actually ended up being quite comfortable in the end. They defended really well. I thought Nathan Teller was fantastic. He is some player in mm-hmm. Lightning Quick, loves to run at defenders, but... He's a great passer of the ball yeah. too. 
something you have to be able to do in the Vincent Company system. But that makes him really hard to play against, I imagine. Because as a defender, if you close him down, there's every chance he'll just knock it past you and go flying. But if you, do, if you don't close him down, then he'll pick out this unbelievable pass instead. So he is Premier League quality, which is why I'm surprised he's not had more opportunities in the Southampton team. That might happen still mm. with Nathan Jones in charge there now. He might recall him, but hopefully that doesn't happen because he's clearly loving his football at Burnley and it would be a waste of everyone's time for him to be recalled just to spend his time on the bench. So hopefully we keep seeing him in a Burnley shirt. Let's have a look at the Burnley going up basket, shall we, Justin? I think you've got three eggs in there right now. Are you going to put any more in? I'd be inclined to chuck another one in, um, mainly because, like I said, if you're winning games and you're not even in full gear, um, or, you know, he's had to utilise his squad a little bit here. Obviously, Goodmanson coming in, Vitinho at right wing back. Um, but it's still a very strong side. You've got Scott Twine who came off the bench as well, which is a huge, huge positive, albeit the last couple of minutes. But they've got gears to go through Burnley. They've got a lot of gears to go through. And I do imagine they will add to their team. They will add in January as well. So I'll throw another egg in. I was, it wasn't um, a, a display that I was off you know, completely taken aback by, but it was a thoroughly professional job, and that's it's making of a good team. Well, they didn't even have Zorori, did they? And exactly. he's been their best attacking player this season. He's still at the World Cup with Morocco. And with that being said, for them to still be as brilliant going forward and as comfortable as they were then, as you say, that is the sign of a good team. So I'm surprised you're not putting any more eggs in there, to be honest, Justin. <laughs> you know me, I'm a, I like to hold my eggs back. You know, I want to make a, I want to make a nice cake at the end of the end of the season, a big, a big Burnley celebration cake. And if a, if it goes tits up, I lose all my eggs, and I don't get to make a cake. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, but at the end of the day, they, how far ahead are they in at the top of the table now? I mean, they're, they're eight points clear of third. So surely that's worth more eggs than just four, isn't it? Because that's the point of this egg basket, Justin. You don't want to put all your <laughs> eggs in one basket. Otherwise, you'll get, you, you may potentially lose them all. But because they are just looking so comfortable right now in the top two, surely it's worth at least a couple more eggs in it. I'll launch a few in after Christmas. Well, let's see where they are launch after Christmas. Launch <laughs> <laughs> Why not? We'll make scrambled eggs. Um, yeah, Christmas is the it's the making of teams, isn't it? If you get through the Christmas period unscathed or relatively unscathed and you're still at top of the table, yeah, I think Derby the only exception in recent years, but if you're still top of the table at the end of the, uh, the festive period and into the new year um, and you get to January and you add to your squad, then yeah, you're in a very comfortable position. So yeah, we'll get to we'll get to the new year and then we can revisit this egg basket uh, conundrum I you, know, you keep throwing at me. Fair enough. A rare appearance of Scott Twine in this game too. There's a huge ironic cheer from Burnley fans when he came on <laughs> as a sub because it's he's not really been seen, has he? It's quite exciting actually to think they could be even better with him in that team. So yeah, just shows that this Burnley team potentially have more gears to go and that's frightening for the rest of the championship. Of course, this was QPR's first game since the departure of Mick Beale, the new manager. Needs to turn this form around, don't they? Because one point in six games is killing their good work from earlier in the season. So more on who that new manager is expected to be in the news. In a Lancashire derby, finished Blackburn 1, Preston 4, thanks to a hat-trick from Ched Evans. It's only the second time this season Preston have scored more than two goals in a league game. But they were pretty much in control throughout, weren't they? It was a really comfortable game. A really, really comfortable game from Preston. 
Um, and I think it was the work off the ball that, that really did it. And I think that the thing that impresses me the most is the fact that there were six players down. I saw the team sheet at the start of the game and I think I thought the same thing as every Preston fan. I was like, this could get uh, this could get messy from a Blackburn perspective. But Preston fully in control. Um, and I've got to praise the belief that Ryan Lowe has in that team because, as I say, that team sheet wasn't exactly inspiring. But they were so well drilled. They were so up for the game. Um, which is exactly what you want and they they utilised every opportunity their game plan was perfection and they set the blueprint of how you play against possession based teams you you press them high you press them high and um, you you, you, uh, you utilise the space and they were they were fantastic they were scintillating it was a really really good 8, 9 out of 10 performance from Preston it was near perfection yeah they took the game to Blackburn didn't they and Blackburn just didn't know what to do. The stat that is well worth mentioning again is that whoever has scored first in a Blackburn game this season has gone on to win in every single game. And I think that speaks a lot about their manager more than anything. But after Preston went ahead, they never looked like not winning, did they? Mm -hmm. Chet Evans was exceptional. Possibly the best all-round performance I've seen from a striker this season. Just holding up the ball, the hat-trick, it speaks for itself, but... Overall, he was just fantastic. I haven't seen him play like that in a long time. Ben Whiteman, brilliant in the middle of the park. Never seemed to stop running. Ben Woodburn, also really impressive on the wing. He hasn't started yeah. too many games this season, but showed why he was such a highly rated youngster back in his Liverpool days. It was a really good showing from Preston. And they're now in the top six, which does blow my mind because we haven't seen many performances like this from them this season. They've not been bad. I just haven't been impressed with them too regularly and we spoke about their playoff chances in our higher and lower episode we did a couple of weeks ago I didn't really give them much chance despite being quite close to the playoffs of getting in there this performance has persuaded me a bit more that they could actually make it there is a long way to go though Mm -hmm. a lot could depend on who comes through the door next month Cameron Arch has been mentioned as someone who could return, which would be really exciting. So we'll have to wait and see. By the way, we spoke of Chad Evans. He actually lost a tooth when scoring one of the goals, which is uh, wow. not ideal, but fair play to him. <laughs> uh, I think in terms of how Blackburn played, this was actually a poorer performance than that loss to Burnley, Justin. They were shocking here. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm really surprised at the approach to the game again. I think um, if you look at how high Burnley pressed Blackburn um, in the game before the international break or the World Cup break, Preston pretty much repeated that and Blackburn didn't learn their lessons. And that's that's a worrying thing for me. And it's not a case of um, saying we were right about Thomason. I think this is a further credence, credence as to why I think the jury's still out on him because, as I say, he's not learnt from that, that, that game against um, Burnley. Um, and it was a repeat poor performance, or, or even a worse, uh, yeah, a worse performance. It was, it was really, really poor. Um, the players looked so lost, well, bereft of confidence with the ball at the feet. Lewis Travis got done several times. Uh, it just seemed to Preston just seemed to know what to do at exactly the right times. Um, and Blackburn didn't adapt to that at any point in the game. They were making the same mistakes in the first half, uh, repeating those in the second half. I don't know what I don't know what to I don't know what else to say about it. It was a poor performance. Everybody knows it. Yeah, Lewis Travis was really bad. Clinton Moller was awful after mm. he came on. Really bad. I pick out those two, but really could pick out any player because no one earned themselves more than a six out of ten in this. And the the thing with Blackburn is I, I keep going back to that stat where whoever scored first in the Blackburn game this season has gone on to win the game. Now, obviously, that's great for Blackburn holding on to leads, but. 
it's I think it says a lot about Thomason as a manager that that's it when they go behind. They just can't get back into it. And I think it is down to the style of play and he just doesn't seem to have an answer for what Blackburn do when they no. do go behind. But look, Blackburn playing poorly is no surprise, is it? They've played poorly multiple times this season. That's why we're both confident about them not sticking around in the top six. I wonder if now is the start of this downturn because it's going to happen. I've got no doubt about that. It just depends on when it happens. And this could very well be it because as bad as Blackburn have played at times this season, the last two performances have been particularly bad. But this was yet another example of why this team is just not as good as their position in the table suggests because they have been very fortunate on multiple occasions, haven't they? And quite often it just depends on what kind of form Ben Brereton-Diaz is in, really, doesn't it? Well, exactly. And I think the thing that's quite telling is They've had performances similar to this one, albeit not that bad, um, but they have been on the right side of, yeah, I wouldn't say fortune or luck, but they have been on the right side of um, things going their way, in, in a sense. Kaminsky being in top form, Brereton Diaz taking his chance when it comes, um, but this game, it didn't, you know, it, it, it went Preston's way, and Preston have been unfortunate this season where they haven't had the rub of the green when it comes to balls landing in the right place. You look at that Ben Whiteman goal with a final goal, for example. You know, ball, ball. You know, it was a beautiful back heel from Daniel Johnson. The ball just laid up perfectly for him, and he, and he hit that. You know, hit it perfectly um, right into the corner. Well, it took a deflection, but that's the sort of look that they've had, and it's the sort of look that Blackburn have had in terms of keeping the ball out of the back of the net as well. Um, and it didn't happen. And I think it just exposes um, exposes some flaws in the team a little bit, and exactly probably why they're they're a mid table team, lower mid table team at the minute. They've got room to grow, certainly have, and it's worth sticking by Thomason, but. Our argument has always been they're not a top six team at the moment. That's it. It sounds like we're talking about them as if they're fighting to stay up, isn't it? But it's strange because they still sit third in the table. Mm. It's just we're both very confident that they're not going to stick around there. Uh, Timu Pukigol in the first minute gave Norwich a 1-0 win away at Swansea. It meant Swansea were pushing for an equaliser throughout the game and were the dominant side. Norwich were holding on. Muscle Martin's side had loads of chances but just didn't take them. Yeah, it's a frustrating game. Um, and Martin was frustrated. I think you can be quite pleased with the performance, but that really slow... I mean, it's a nightmare start, wasn't it? Obviously, giving the ball away in the first minute, Puki having the chance in the first minute before he obviously scored from the from the set piece. Um, but I think the reaction to the goal pleases me. Um, it shows that, you know, the team is the team is in a good place. They just couldn't find they just couldn't find that um the burst through the door essentially. Um they couldn't find the you know a way through. You look at that uh, Joel Pirro chance in the first half where it, it comes off the defender and it sort of bounces around a little bit and Angus Gunn just about gets on top of it before Fulton almost gets his toe in. You know, it was a really fine margin game for for Swansea and I think if um I think if you know things went their way just a little bit they may have got an equaliser at some point but disappointing first couple of minutes but certainly a good reaction after but also Martin revealed that the Norwich players actually apologised to him after the game because they recognised how <laughs> undeserved it was which is just incredible isn't it I've never heard anything like that uh, but as far as I'm concerned performances like this are why Swansea have a great chance of finishing mm-hmm. this season in the top six because they were great despite losing that sounds strange to say but they were great Ryan Manning was exceptional on the left and was really dangerous all game Matt Grimes controlled the whole 90 minutes and aside from that first minute Swansea defended well too the only thing that's been missing recently is that finishing touch and that would be really helped if Joel Pirro could find some form from somewhere 
one goal from nine games and that goal was a penalty. So imagine if he was in some sort of form. Swansea would be absolutely flying right now because they're playing well, aren't they? Yeah, it's yeah, just, they yeah. just can't find the back of the net for love nor money. As the season goes on, you'd imagine Piro will either find form or Obafemi will find form or maybe they'll even sign a striker in January. So as long as they continue to play like this, I think they'll be just fine this season. I'm quite confident about that. Not sure what to say about Norwich, really, because it's quite hard to comment on them after playing so poorly, yet winning. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if they were so poor. Swansea had a lot of uh, a lot of joy from set pieces, which is where the majority of their really good chances came from. Um, I'll say Norwich managed the game particularly well. Um, it was a good away performance. It's, it's an away performance I'd be satisfied with. They were stubborn. I know, as I say, Swansea created the, the abundance of chances, but Norwich still got into good areas. Um, I think it was a you know ball flashed across the box in the first half and Sargent, if he was an inch taller, he'd have got on the end of it, it'd have been 2-0. Um, again, it was a fine margin game in, in, in that respect, but I'd be satisfied coming away from that. Will it convince supporters that Dean Smith's the right man? I don't think it will. Um, but a win in a clean sheet away from home and you're not playing at your best, you take it all day. Um, I don't think they were as bad as maybe you're making out. I think it was a, they just weren't as good as Swansea, shall we say. Yeah, well, that, that's what I mean. Yeah. That that doesn't sound great when you've just won a game, but they were. I think they only managed five shots all game. I might be making that up, but that's not a great uh, kind of tally, is it, for showing how good a side Norwich were here. But I think this game kind of sums up what I expect Norwich to do this season. I think they'll keep getting enough results to get in the top six, but I'd be quite surprised if this team came close to automatic promotion with Dean Smith in charge. Don't get me wrong, the team is good enough, without a doubt. It feels like they just kind of have the handbrake on with him in charge. You know, Norwich under Daniel Farker, they wouldn't have scored in the mm. first minute and sat on it. They'd have gone out and tried to score another. But instead, we sat through a Norwich side clinging onto a one-goal lead when on another day, they would have got punished if they were facing yeah. a team that actually could finish their chances. Ultimately, what I'm saying is a better manager could do a lot more with this team because there's a lot of quality there. It's just... You've got Dean Smith, who is very conservative in his ways, I suppose. I think there was that period just before the first international break in um, in September where the international break came at the wrong time for Norwich because Norwich were flying, they were performing well um, and it was more of the uh, Norwich that we saw um, under Daniel Farker. Um, and then the international break came and form just disappeared as soon as they came back. So I think if they can get to that level or anywhere near that level um, that they were, that five or six games, they were unbeaten as well. Um, they're, they're, they'll be fine this season, but it's just whether or not they've got enough in them under Dean Smith to maybe you know lay a few punches on a, uh, on a top two chase or at least be a team that you can actually go, OK, I'm confident that you're going to get through this playoff campaign and win the playoff final because at the minute they're not convincing, aren't they? Rob Edwards' first game as Luton manager ended in defeat. They were beaten 2-1 away at Middlesbrough thanks to a last-minute winner from Matt Crooks. What did you think of this Luton side with the new man at the helm, Justin? Yeah, it was it was an intriguing game. Um, it was a good, a really good first half. They they created a good, uh, you know, a fair few chances in the in the Luton way that they do. You know, they, they press, they they break quickly. Um, but in the second half, they were quite poor, and there was quite a few individual mistakes creeping in. Um, I think if you look at the likes of Jordan Clark, he played incredibly well, but it was a slightly disjointed performance. But I don't think that's necessarily Rob Edwards's um, issue. I know they have had injuries, they've had a player's international duty as well. Um, so it wasn't 
an amazing performance. They'd have been happy with the draw um, just because that second half was so poor. And obviously, Amari Bell going out to 10 men, um, you'd end up against it a little bit. But yeah, maybe a bit of a sucker punch in terms of that uh, Matt Crooks goal in the, in the dying minutes of the game. But it was okay. It was just okay. From a, I thought, yeah, I thought they played well. They, they were pressing, getting into middles with faces and trying to kill off any momentum they had. And it worked for essentially 90 minutes of the game it's just that one lapse in concentration at the end which has just cost them but you know these things happen so I think as far as away performances go it was it was good I think it was very good in fact it's just as we say if if Luton don't switch off at the very end of this game then they've, they've come away from Middlesbrough with the point. point and Middlesbrough have been flying recently so that mm-hmm. would have been an incredible result for them so I think it was a positive first game despite the result Edwards doesn't need to reinvent the wheel at Luton for now does he if they keep playing how they were maybe be a little less direct than they were under Nathan Jones then Luton can still have a strong second half of the season a quick shout out for that Jordan Clark goal by the way he goes on amazing run before firing it in from the edge of the box absolutely marvellous if that was on the winning side. We'd be seeing that goal a lot more. But unfortunately, it didn't really matter for much. But yeah, great goal by him. Four wins in five now for Middlesbrough, who are absolutely flying under Michael Carrick, aren't they? Chuba Akpom has scored or assisted in every game that Carrick has been in charge for. I struggle to comprehend how different a player this guy is. He's been the one... You know, before he was just fairly average, one team. But now, since Carrick's come in, he's just been... Unbelievable. He's been everything for Middlesbrough going forwards when that didn't seem like it was ever going to be the case under uh, with anyone, any other manager before. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just three points off top six now in Middlesbrough. How do you rate their chances of getting in there? I, th- I would rate them relatively high, to be honest with you. I think we need to see a bad spell. Whether that comes or not is another question. Um, but we need to see a bad spell just to see how they react under Carrick. Um, but in the press, Carrick's been very consistent in his messaging. Um, in the fact that he's been consistent with this team, you know, if they've if they've let up in terms of intensity and training, they've increased it. Um, I just I only ever hear good things um, coming out from the the Carrick camp, coming out from the media, um, and that's why I rate him so highly. It's why I rank we ranked him quite highly in our manager list um, recently. Just there's just a lot of good things coming out of it, and I think. The more he gets these results, because Middlesbrough went out their best here, nowhere near the best, nowhere near the best that they got to in the the final two games just before the World Cup break. But they still found a way to win. They still ensured they were still in the game. They still created a good amount of chances. Um, and it's just about fine tuning things, maybe adding one or two players in January, um, and they will be well up into that top six. I, I I think top two is maybe a bit of a, a push too far, but like I said, I just I like everything that's coming out of the Carrick camp at the minute. I'm actually confident they'll finish in the top six because the squad is playoff standard anyway. We know that. It's just Chris Wilder had a wobbly and decided he wasn't very happy with it. But Carrick has already shown he's a bright manager. Middlesbrough have dominated during this winning run. They've been by far and away the better side in every game. And you'd have thought they're only going to get better as well because you give Carrick an extra few months in charge, let him get to know his players, how he wants to play and how to get the best out of this team, then that's going to be... They'll get better in that respect anyway. But I also imagine they'll strengthen January too because they've been linked with virtually every championship player going. So you'd have thought that this team is only going to get better. And 
that's why I'd say they're well on course for a top six finish in my book. As we say, only three points off now anyway. It's just about keeping this momentum going, but it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon, does it, Justin? Uh, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Colo Torre's first game in charge of Wigan. Welcome back to the second tier podcast in Colo Torre's first game in charge. Wigan drew one all away at Millwall. Uh, a great point for Colo, Colo, Colo. Oh, uh, what did you make of his first game in charge, Justin? <laughs> terrible. Uh, no, that, that was terrible. Um, I thought it was a solid start. I think um, you're going up against a, a Millwall team who are hurting from um, a Pretty poor performance last weekend against Sunderland, um, and they're going to be on it. And they and Millwall were, but you know Wigan managed to stay. Um, yeah, they kept the nerve essentially, and going one 0 up as well away at the Den um, would have been a massive positive. But obviously, to concede not too long after would have been disappointing. But there were some good elements of this game that I really liked. If you look at the goal, for example, I think we see a little bit of Kolo Tori in that and how he wants to play. It was such a good passing move. And, Arguably one of the goals of the weekend, if it wasn't for a slightly untidy, untidy finish. But really, really impressed with that. Um, and it, I think from there, it's just about being brave. Obviously, Millwall coming back into the game, they're then going to they, they've got the onus, um, and it's just a case of trying to manage that now as a, as an a, as an away team. But considering that their form wasn't great, obviously they, I know they won before the international break. The form wasn't great. Players probably just about getting used to Kolarotori and his methods. It was a solid start. A solid start. Yeah, they had most of the possession and it seems as if Toro wants to play a bit more than they were during under Liam Richardson. Didn't really create much and I, th- I thought they were actually quite fortunate to get a point. But, mm. you know, baby steps under Toro, I suppose. Uh, Wigan's goal was very strange. Wilkins' initial shot was going miles wide, but it's hit his teammate Callum Lang, rebounded straight back to Keane and... He essentially had an open goal because George Long had dived for the initial yeah, shot yeah, was, and was on the ground. So, so it was very, very weird. But I think it's criminal that Callum Lang's been given an assist for that. Because <laughs> <laughs> as far as assists go, that's uh, that's very generous. I actually wanted to give Keane a bit of a shout out because he's now scored eight goals this season, which is a really good tally for a guy who's playing in a team fighting to stay up. But more importantly for him specifically, he's now equaled the number of goals he's previously scored in 75 championship appearances. He's really struggled in the past at second tier level, and he? And, you know, had numerous loan moves and never really... In fact, he looked a bit out of his depth at championship Mm -hmm. level. But now that he took the step down with Wigan to League One, he's playing regularly for a club where he's actually, you know, permanently there. I wasn't sure if he'd be able to make the step up, but he's been great. And despite Wigan's struggles... He's done his bit so far, hasn't he? You'd argue that if they could unlock a few more chances and be a bit more open, perhaps they'll start to do that under Torre. He will get more goals. Um, he's been pivotal for uh, for Wigan. And he's such a fluid and flexible player. He's, he always, he's playing that number 10 role as a support striker and he's been the main goal threat, which is quite staggering really because Wigan haven't had a convincing nine um, play for him yet this season, unfortunately. And if I'm sure if they did, he'd be getting more goals and assists. He's been superb and... He's he's been in form all season, but if you can get the likes of Nathan Broadhead uh, and Callum Lang consistently in form, then that team's going to score goals. I think it's good enough to stay up. It's just about unlocking it, and if they've got Keane in form in that final third, then there's you know they've got a really good chance of yeah staying in the championship easily. 
Yeah, Zion Fleming was great for Millwall, scored a brilliant goal as well. However, the chances Millwall missed showed why they are in desperate need of a striker in January. In fact, there are quite a few championship clubs who need a striker in January, but I'd, I'd go as far to say as no team needs a striker more than mm. Millwall. Someone who can finish off chances and also be that foil for Zion Fleming, someone he can play one-twos off and have the ball laid off to him and just be, oh, perfect. Imagine if they had someone like Victor Jokerez just in. It'd be beautiful, <laughs> wouldn't it? Because he'd just be yeah. the final piece of the jigsaw. But unfortunately, these kind of strikers don't grow on trees, do they? So is this perfect Millwall striker out there? I don't know. Not sure if Millwall have got someone lined up. I imagine they must have because it's it's glaringly obvious how badly they need a striker in January. Otherwise, if they don't get one in, I, I can see them missing out on the yeah. top six, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree with you. It's frustrating, isn't it, from a Millwall perspective, because whenever they've had a, a, a goal scorer, like Lee Gregory, for example, they've not had that Jed Wallace, um, Zion Fleming type. Now they've got Zion Fleming, they're missing that goal scorer, and it's the same... You know, it's the same symptoms they were suffering um, when they had Jed Wallace. They were missing that goal scorer that could take him to that next level because you can't rely too heavily on one player to score you the goals, essentially. Um, and it's just it's just frustrating. You know, stars aren't aligning for Millwall, annoyingly. And if they can, if they do, I mean, then Benic Fabio will start scoring goals because I think he's the striker that they need, but he's misfiring again this season. Bradshaw, we know, um, we've said a lot about him already. So, yeah, it's just trying to find that striker out there is it's difficult it's bloody difficult and I can't see it happening in January hmm. we'll have to see Billy Sharp scored the only goal of the game as Sheffield United beat Huddersfield were you surprised by this result Justin considering you were bigging up Huddersfield's <laughs> chances so much in the midweek show no I wasn't bigging their chances up I just don't think it was as um, as scripted as you as you thought it might be I was very confident Sheffield United would win um, but I just can't I can't throw all of my eggs in one basket as I've shown already in this, in this show Hmm. Okay then. Uh, this was comfortable, really, for Sheffield United. Huddersfield only managed one shot and target. Never looked like they were going to get back into the game. Lovely finish by Billy mm-hmm. Sharp after a great pass for Millie Man and Die. That was beautiful. Only disappointment here for the Blades, I suppose, is that they didn't make it more comfortable for themselves by grabbing another goal. I was talking on Thursday about how invaluable this break will have been for Sheffield United because of the injury crisis they've had in getting players back. And I think this game is a perfect example of that. I mean, just look at the bench, Justin. Sander Berger is back after being out for a number of months. The same with Jaden Bogle and Max Lowe. I wasn't sure if Ollie McBurney would be back, but he came off the bench here. Sheffield United have actually benefited from the break, really, haven't they? Because the injury crisis was the main reason why they haven't picked up even more points than they have done. So now everyone's pretty much back. Happy days. Very happy days. Uh, and they've got the new training pitch as well, which is absolutely fantastic. And hopefully that, <laughs> that can, um, yeah. that can, yeah, that can, yeah, help people avoid injuries, help players avoid injuries in that squad uh, and contribute in that way. But yeah, it, it's, it's massive. If you look at Billy Sharp, he was, wasn't necessarily in form. He was a bit part player. And obviously the injury to McBurney or McBurney's surgery meant he wasn't fit to start. Billy Sharp has stepped in and it was vintage Sharp running off the shoulder of a defender and um, putting the ball away with, with absolute ease. But the quality that this team's got, if players are fully fit, even if 70% of that squad's fully fit, it's quite staggering really. Um, and it's just a case of yeah, getting getting them in a good place and, and seeing where they go from there. But yeah, you can't fault the, the depth. It's something that is praised. It's just whether or not, yeah, they can can stay fit enough to, to sustain this promotion challenge. 
Huddersfield rock bottom of the table, 19 points from 21 games, four points from safety. Mark Fotheringham said after the game that his side can turn it around. Just impeach. Can they? Can they score goals? Can they create chances? No. That's what it comes down to, isn't it? You can keep teams out. But I mean, other than the goal, um, Sheffield United were reduced to sort of three-quarter chances, if you like. And there was nothing clear-cut after the goal. But it was a comfortable game for Sheffield United. Huddersfield did not lay a glove on them. Um, And again, I'm once again asking, can they do anything outside of set pieces? And the answer, quite bluntly, is no. And we might get a couple of Huddersfield fans say, why have you got such an agenda against us? This team is a poor team. It's a poor team. And Mark Farmingham, whilst he's got them organised defensively and a lot more resolute than they were, this, is, this team does not look like scoring and it's frighteningly, frighteningly frightening how bad they are going forwards. It's terrifying. I've not seen a team this poor going forwards for a very, very long time. Yeah, I think it would be ridiculous to relegate a team before Christmas, but I just don't see how Huddersfield <sighs> stay up, really. Before the game, Fotheringham was speaking in the week and was making excuses about Huddersfield not having any money to strengthen in January because the club's up for sale. And the only way I see this team staying up is by having a phenomenal transfer window. But that doesn't sound like it's going to happen because the current squad is simply not good enough. There there are flickers of positivity. Defensively, they've been relatively solid recently and not having to rely on goalkeeping masterclasses from Lee Nichols like we were seeing earlier in the season. But they have got absolutely nothing going forwards. Absolutely toothless. It's, it's just gums. It's just gums. Just pure (laughs) gums. And that's the killer for them, isn't it? One goal from open play since Fotheringham's been there is a shocking Mm. statistic. Goals win your games. And I can't see this team winning enough to even come close to staying up. So not relegating them just yet, but it's mighty close to me. For me, putting the big R next to them in the table, I think. In Coventry's first game since being given an eviction notice, they lost 1-0 away at Reading. Back-to-back wins for the Royals after previously picking up just one W in nine. Although I thought Coventry were much the better side here. Yeah, I mean, I think Paul Ince admitted it himself. Um, They scored against a run of play. Um, Coventry probably created the better chances, but Coventry have have, have, have had a disrupted break. Um, which probably maybe lends into not it not being their best performance, if that makes sense. Um, I know they had to cancel the friendly because they didn't have enough players last weekend, um, so they're underprepared in, in some instances. But from that, I think it was still a good enough performance to at least grind out a draw. Um, but I think Reading's game plan worked very, very well. They, they tried to stop the runners in and around that final third. They did that. They executed it really well. And whilst Coventry had the better chances, I do think Reading will, you know, they deserve their win. They played some really good stuff, Coventry, and just could not convert any of the chances, could they? And Mark Robbins was actually quite happy after the game, despite the result, which I think says a lot about how good Coventry actually were, despite not winning. A prospective new owner, Doug King, was in the stands for this one. Good news, because some had feared that the stadium situation at Coventry may have put the takeover on hold, but his presence would suggest it's still very much on, and that's always good to see. Bristol City got their first win in six by by winning 3-1 away at Rotherham. What a finish by Wes Harding for the own goal, Justin. If you're going to put the ball in the back of there, you may as well do it in style, might you? Uh, Cal Smith back for Bristol City after two months out with a calf injury and was absolutely class. Tommy Conway, brilliant up front. Rotherham didn't defend well and that really cost them, didn't it? 
Yeah, they were missing Humphreys and Hall, probably their two best defenders, and it showed. I mean, just the look of pure confusion on Harding's face after he put the ball in the back of the net was probably as as good as it got for, for Rotherham in a way. Um, I know they equalised, but they were, yeah, defensively, they were very, very poor. It failed to stop the cross, for example, for that Harding own goal. Um, and I think Matt Taylor admitted himself that there was just too many errors in that team. And I think that just goes to show that they were missing or how much they were missing Hall and Humphreys. Um, but it was it was a, a scrappy game that Bristol City edge with the quality that they've got. I don't think Nigel Pearson was overly happy with the performance, but considering how poor they've been defensively, I think he will be pleased. But likewise, um, Taylor will be disappointed that his just team never really got going. A lot of wins this weekend for teams who didn't play very well. It's a common theme we've had this weekend, <laughs> isn't it? Strange how, how it mm. works sometimes. Um, yeah, much needed win for Bristol City. Sees them leapfrog up the table. Blackpool nil, Birmingham nil. A rather drab affair, this one. Birmingham had a goal disallowed in the first half. Maxime Collan put it in, but Tariff Chong was offside and was deemed to be interfering in play. What did you think, Justin? I think um, John Eustace's verdict was that Maxwell was sort of too far on one side, or Blackpool keeper was too far on one side, so he wasn't interfering with play, but I'd have given that as offside if I was the linesman. So, contentious decision, but probably the right one. But I do think Birmingham deserved to win the game on the balance of play, and that's probably just the, the soreness kicking in from Eustace that they weren't able to convert any of their chances. Yeah, by the letter of the law, it probably is offside, but I think it's harsh to disallow it because I don't really see how Chong is impacting that goal. It's just a good strike and... As I say, it wasn't exactly in the keeper's way, I don't think, off the top of my head. So, yeah, I don't really understand that one. Uh, and then finally, on Sunday afternoon, we had Watford nil, Hall nil. We had to record this episode late because of that game. I'm not sure it was worth it. It was a not a great game by any stretch of the imagination. And that's just about all the games from this weekend. It's Sunderland v West Brom on Monday night. So we'll talk about that game in Thursday's episode. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and numerous reports say Neil Critchley is set to be confirmed as the new QPR boss. It comes after Mick Beale's departure to Rangers. What do you think of this one, Justin? I, th- I, f- I feel like we've already spoken about this in depth, have we not? I, I, or maybe we've Critchley's been so. linked with, or is it because Critchley's been linked with several jobs and so we've already covered Critchley quite heavily over the past few weeks? Um, I think it's a, I think it's a good appointment. I think it's a right appointment. He's he's a very highly qualified coach. He's got very good credentials and experience at championship level. What he did with Blackpool in a really short space of time, I think, is worth worth a, a go at a job where you're trying to bridge the gap between being a mid-table team to a playoff team. And I think Chris has got the ability to do that. Obviously, he will need um, he will need backing as well. But he's shown that he can work well with within constraints which QPR do operate under. Um, he ticks all the he ticks all the boxes. He's a very simple appointment for me. Um, I don't know why it's taking so long. It, it feels like an obvious one. Maybe it's just you know hammering down negotiations for the contract. But just get him signed up, man. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what the delay is either. I also find it interesting that now QPR's two appointments have both been Aston Villa <laughs> assistant managers, um, yeah, which, is a, which is very strange. Um, I've seen a lot of QPR fans not particularly enamoured by this appointment and I think it's just because it's not a big name and Neil Critchley you know his track record only has Blackpool on it and 
some fans may look at that and go, oh, well, why didn't we get someone like Sean Dyche, for example? But that's just not going to happen, is it? I think Neil Critchley is a fantastic appointment. It makes complete sense for all involved for this move. Critchley was fantastic at Blackpool. The job he did there was unbelievable, working with a threadbare budget mm. and a squad which was very patchy in places. I mean, look how they're doing now. They're struggling, aren't they, With uh, without him there? And I think that just goes to show how good a tactician he was. He was he's yeah. a brilliant manager. He's one of the most highly rated young coaches there is out there anyway. And for my money, he's guaranteed to be a Premier League manager at some point, as long as he sticks to the management job, as opposed to dipping off every so often to be Aston Villa manager, uh, assistant manager. So, yeah, this is a really, really exciting appointment for QPR fans. I think they should be more excited than they seem to be from mm. what I'm seeing on social media anyway, because he's a great coach, brilliant young coach, yeah. and he's got a great future ahead of him. And hopefully that's with uh, QPR involved as well. So, yeah, I th this makes complete sense for me. Commentaries Mark Robbins and Victor Jokerez have won the Championship Manager and Player of the Month awards respectively in November. It's after winning four out of four games. Uh, this is a bit of a Sad one. Bristol City's 19-year-old midfielder Eamon Benaroos is out for the rest of the season hmm. after re-rupturing his ACL. He first had the injury in training back in May. Awful news for him. We wish him the best in his recovery. Paul Lintz has confirmed Ovi Ajaria did not travel to Tenerife for Reading's warm weather training camp and was dropped for this weekend due to disciplinary issues. Ince said, the thing is with Ovi, we are all in it together and we all have to be part of it. We're all fighting to try and keep this team in the league. If you're not part of it, then there's a problem. Naughty Ovi, Justin. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, he's keeping a tight knit squad. Um, he's a disciplinarian, Inces, isn't he? Um, he's he's hard ass as well. So if you step out of line, even a tiny, tiny bit, he's he's going to reprimand you and and ensure that um, you're towing the same line as everybody else. And I think that's absolutely fair. Reading's plight is one of struggle this season and if you've not got everyone in the right line or, or, or going in the right direction or same direction or putting the same or whatever the metaphor is I don't know um, then you're going to struggle so I think Paul Ince is well within his rights to do what he needs to do and plus Ajari's form hasn't been great has it um, so perhaps this is a kick up the arse that he needs yeah, the Ince hasn't said what exactly it is that Ajari has done but you're quite right over Ajari has been anonymous now for mm -hmm. the best part of a year in fact a year he's, he's been pretty rubbish actually for quite some time and considering he we know he's a talented player hmm. if he if Reading I, I still think they'll be in a relegation battle this season but that's by the by if that is the case then they do need to be everyone needs to be involved and fighting to stay up don't they um, and that's what Paul Ince asks of his team he wants them to all you know be given 110% every hmm. single game and I don't know what Ajari has done, but if he's not bothered, then best of luck to your son. Go off somewhere else and play for someone else because Paul Lynch won't tolerate that, will he? So, yeah, I don't know what hap what's happened, but yeah, I think it says a lot about Ajari's attitude that he's been playing crap and now <laughs> he's not. He's doing something else on the side. Don't answer your words, Ryan. Huddersfield boss Mark Fotheringham has confirmed their signing former Sheffield Wednesday and Hibernian forward Florian Camberi. He's scored four goals in 23 games while on loan at Hillsborough last season. I don't think that's going to solve their goal-scoring issues, I've got to say, but, you know, best of <laughs> luck. Not, not creating them. 
good point. A host of new contracts have been dished out to players this week. Middlesbrough youngster Hayden Hackney has signed a new deal until 2026. He's certainly impressed, especially since Carrick's come in. Preston duo Ryan Ledson, Liam Lindsay, each been given an extra two years. Cal Bartley has triggered a one-year extension at West Brom. There may be some others that I've just completely missed out. Former Stoke boss Michael O'Neill's back in work. He's been reappointed as the Northern Ireland manager. Uh, what do you think of that one, Justin? I, I passed me by to be honest with you. I mean, it all went very well for him uh, with Northern Ireland. I'd have hoped that he'd have had another crack um, at a championship job because I do, I do rate Michael O'Neill as a manager. I think he's a good tactician, but I just think the Stoke job became too big for him, as Alex Neil's finding out now. Um, so I, I do feel for him in that sense. But okay, fair enough. Yeah, you're, you're back at Northern Ireland. Let's see what you can do. It's it. It's a low risk job for him, isn't it? It's that easy. Well, it's where he made his name, wasn't it? And mm. I think Michael O'Neill's still a very good manager. And yeah. the fact that he struggled at Stoke isn't any reflection on him. A lot of managers, a lot of very talented managers at that have struggled at Stoke recently, haven't they? And yeah, best of luck to him. And FIFA have been paying clubs £8,000 per day to lend their players during the World Cup. It means QPR received well over three hundred grand for Seni Dienk and Elias Chair, who have played a total of zero minutes. Not a bad little learner, though, that, is it? Uh, Justin, let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we ask the listeners on Twitter three questions because we want to get their thoughts and everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Firstly, will Huddersfield finish bottom, yes or no? Yes, absolutely. Yep, I'm pretty certain about that myself. 63% of people said yes, 37% said no. Mm. Is Billy Sharp the greatest striker in championship history, yes or no? Uh... Yes, let's say yes, because I know people will say Ivan Tony Mitrovic, but I have to just say, the guy's 37, he's still doing it. In terms of longevity, he wins mm. the award for that, doesn't he? But I think if you're talking in terms of literally the greatest striker to play in the Championship, Mitrovic. Alexander Mitrovic, considering what he did last season in particular, he probably takes that mantle for me. Uh, 69% of people said no, 31% said yes. And finally, should Gareth Southgate stay or go as England Sh- boss? Should stay. I've seen so many people say he should go. Get in the bin. He's been our best manager since Bobby Robson. Hard to, well, considering what he's done, hard to disagree. The only thing is, it's it's just our record against the big teams. It's pretty woeful. I think I saw the other, the other day Germany, the only side who we've beaten in, you know, tournament football, and. That does irritate me. And whether a better manager could do better than that, I'm not too sure. But Southgate, in terms of his record, I think if he does go, we'll look back on it and go, bloody hell, he he did a good job in the end, didn't he? And we may very well be cursing it if he does go. So who knows? It's going to be an interesting few days, isn't it? 63% of people said yes, he should stay. Um, And 37% of people said no, he should go. Right, Justin, let's do a quick quiz, shall we? This is a new one. And since the World Cup is still on, featuring nationalities from around the world, let's play a game of Around the World. I'm going to give Justin 10 players from the past in the Championship. And all he's got to tell me is the country they played international football for. How many reckon you get here, Peachy? What's a good score in your eyes? I went too confident last week, didn't I? So I'll say eight. I think eight's a good one. Um... But we're recording later on a Sunday. I might not be a sharp. Mm, excuses made already. That's interesting. Um, 
I think you should be looking to get 10 here personally, but we'll wait and see. First up is former Blackburn, Middlesbrough and Villa striker Rudy Gestead. Which country did he represent? It's Benny, wasn't it? It absolutely was. Straight off the mark. One out of one for Justin Peach. Next up, ex-Burnley midfielder Scott Arfield. Which country did he represent? <laughs> Cheeky one, that. He's, he's Canadian, eh? Well, yes, he's. I think he was born in Scotland, but he did represent Canada. You're absolutely right. Two out of two. Maynard Figueroa, the defender who used to play for Wigan. Where, do you, where was he from? It's Honduras. Yeah, yeah. Going very well so far, Justin. Three out of three. I think you may have sold yourself short <laughs> by uh, St. Age. Former Middlesbrough and Forest winger, Mustafa Carriol. Which country is he from? That's a difficult one. He's just signed for Burton as well. Has he? Um, he's still playing. Yeah, he's just time for Burton. That's a really hard one because um, that's a Wikipedia page I've never been on. Um, I say Guinea. Close Gambia. So mm, that's the first G. one you got wrong. Three out of four. Ex Stoke striker Sado Berahino. Which country is he represented at international football? It's Burundi, isn't it? I think it's pronounced Burundi, but you're correct. Uh, so, four out of five for Justin Peach. Next up, Lloyd Doyley, the old Watford defender. Who did he play for? <laughs> Is he he's an international footballer? <laughs> <laughs> he was all right, was a uh, old Doyley. Oh God! Um... Got to the Prem, didn't he? He did. He was a very solid player. Um, just couldn't score. Just couldn't score, apart from that one time. Oh, that's a hard one. Honestly, I have no idea. Um, Got to shout out a random country. Um, Lloyd Doyley. Who did he play for? I was just throwing Jamaica. It was Jamaica. Really? Absolutely correct, yeah. Played international football for Jamaica. Five out of six. Next up, former Crystal Palace defender Jonathan Parr. Which country was he from? He was Norwegian. I liked Parr. He is an mm. underrated player. Very underrated player. Lovely hair as well. Mm. Six out of seven. Ex-Forest goalkeeper Costel Pantillamon, the human daddy long legs. What country was he from? I've, I weirdly used to work in Nottingham. I used to see him have a lot walking around. Weird. He, he can't stand miss him. out as yeah. well. <laughs> if you're in a yeah. shopping centre, you could see him from miles away. Um, what country? The Romanian. He was. Yeah. Seven out of eight. This is fantastic from Justin Peach. Alman Abdi, the former Watford midfielder. Which country? He was Swiss. He was. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Eight out of nine. And finally, ex-Swansea striker Jason Scotland. What country was he from? He was Trinidad and Tobago. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, ladies good. and gentlemen. I think he deserves a round of applause there. Unbelievable. Nine that. out of ten for Justin Peach. You happy with that? I am, actually, because that first one's an absolute stumbler, the Rudy Gassad one, because his career, is, again, it's one that will pass anybody by, especially mm. from an international perspective. But, yeah, Benin, love it. I think Rudy Gassad now does motivational videos on YouTube. I think that's right. Because I was trying I to get him... I was trying to get him in, t on, in touch with him for a second tier meets episode potentially but then I found that he's doing all that now 
I'm not sure if that's the person I'd want to get motivational videos from a lumbering, sometimes clumsy striker who used to play for Aston Villa. Um, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. Surprisingly, we uh, this episode's been very short. I'm not not sure how that's gone. It's just flown by, ain't it? Time flies when you're having fun, Justin. Uh, but yeah, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday to preview all the games coming up next weekend in the Championship, as well as talk about the game on Monday night. Uh, but we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening.